there as you're seated, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, beginning at verse number 1. What initiates what is called Holy Week is this Sunday, which is known as Palm Sunday. And so I want to take a passage that is directly connected to Palm Sunday and preach to you a message that Lord has laid upon my heart. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 all the way down to 10. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it, Jesus said. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So when they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing? Loosing the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus has commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, in the highest. I want to take my thought this morning from the verse, verse number three, the simple phrase that says, the Lord has need of it. I want to preach to you for a few moments with the help of the Lord. The Lord has need of it. This amazing passage registers the triumphant entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. It was the same Sunday morning that Jesus fulfilled the ancient prophecy of the prophet Zechariah of the Old Testament. Centuries before Zechariah had written these words of the coming of the Messiah. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9 it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fool of a donkey. This prophecy that was spoken ages before was literally fulfilled on this occasion that we read in Mark 11. The primary emphasis of this passage is the revelation of Jesus Christ to Israel. And that he was the awaited king and Messiah. The common man of that day understood this. And that's why the Bible says in Mark chapter 11 verses 7 through 10. That they rejoiced in the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were rejoicing more than the scripture had just been fulfilled. But they're rejoicing and that their king, their Messiah had come. But the leaders of Israel's. They rejected him. And before even the next Sabbath day, before the following week would close, Jesus would be crucified. John chapter 1 and verse 11 says that Israel rejected their king. He came unto his own and his own did not receive him. That's a powerful 
message in and of itself, but, but I want to focus today for a few moments on that little colt, that donkey. That little colt that Jesus rode into the city. It's caught my interest. And the Bible says that the Lord needed this colt to be able to fulfill his mission here on the earth. Isn't it amazing that Jesus is God and he could have done it any other way, but he chose a colt. Can I tell you, by the way, that Jesus is still using simple vessels to do his work here on this earth? He's using people like you and me. Certainly he doesn't need us, but he has lovingly chosen to make us part of his plan. I don't know about you, but I'm glad about it. Amen. Jesus could have assigned this task to the angels, but he has chosen to work through human vessels like you and me. And I rejoice today in being able to be a part of the work that the Lord is doing. I rejoice in that he can use a simple vessel like me, like you, to accomplish his purpose here on this earth. So I would like for us to focus today for a few moments on a somewhat overlooked character in this story, this little cult. Let me share with you three things today that I find very interesting. Number one, this cult had to be redeemed. Someone say it had to be redeemed. In order for anyone, specifically the people of Israel, to utilize a colt or a donkey, the law of Moses gave instructions on how that was to happen. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 13. It says, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. In order for a donkey to be used for any particular purpose that affected directly the life of Israel, the Bible says they had to be redeemed with a lamb. What does that mean for you and I today? First of all, we had to be saved by the blood of the lamb. I'll say that again. We had to be saved by the blood of the lamb. According to the word of God, that cult was only alive and available for the Lord. Because it had been redeemed by the blood of a lamb. And this could be said of us today. That we are here and we are alive and we are available for the master's use. Because he redeemed us with his own precious blood. We don't sit here on, in our power. We don't sit here in our ability. We don't sit here because we've always been so good. But the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, Jesus Christ himself, redeemed us for the master's use. Look at what Paul says happened to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul is telling the church what their life was like before they met Jesus. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. 
In other words, before Jesus found us, we were in bad shape. You can't tell me that your life is better before Jesus. You can't tell me that you were more fulfilled before you met Jesus. We were children of wrath. We lived by our own rules. We walked according to the flesh. We were disobedient. We were far from God. But verse number four lets us know what happened. And it says, but God. I wish somebody knew what I was talking about here today. I was on my way to hell, but God. I was on my way to the grave, but God. I was going deeper and deeper and deeper in sin, but God. Oh, I wish somebody would shout, but God, but God, but God. It wasn't my money. It was God. It wasn't my friends. It was God. It wasn't my choices. It was, but God who is rich in mercy. I don't know about you, but I've had some but gods in my life. I was on my way to make a mess of my life. I was on my way to ruin my future and my destiny, but God. Somebody shout, but God. Shout it again, but God. We sit here because of God. We lift up our hands because of God. We live the way we live because of God. Look at three people and tell them, but God, but God, but God. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us. You see, in our natural state, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In our natural state, we are the enemies of God. In our natural state, according to what we read, we are given over to the desires of the flesh. In our natural state, we are under condemnation. And because of this, at that natural state before God, we are useless to God. Some of us think really highly of ourselves and think, well, preacher, you can't be talking about me because look at how good my life is. Well, if you don't know Jesus, it's not, very, it's not that good. That hopeless feeling that comes upon you every now and again, that's not very good. That idea that there may be something out there beyond what I can see and causing you to feel more and more empty as the days go by is not that good. And so we are separated from him by an ample abyss of our sin. That was and is our natural state. And maybe that is how the Lord found us. But can I tell you, that's not how he left us. Is there somebody that's glad today that Jesus left you in better condition than he found you? Oh, some of us need to go back on down, take a trip down memory lane and remember where Jesus found us, where we were, what we were doing, who we were with, what we were all about. And Jesus swooped right in and delivered us and saved us and washed us in his blood and left us in better condition than he found us. When he saved us, he saved us by his grace and changed us completely. He gives us life, as John chapter 10 
And verse 10 says, he says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He delivered us from the punishment of our sin. He built a bridge between us and him. And that's the only reason that you and I have any use for the Lord today. And so we praise God for the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus. We thank God for the cross. We thank God for his blood that was shared to purchase us, to redeem us, to wash us of our sin and give us right standing before God. Jesus expressed it this way to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He tells them, you must be born again. Can I tell you, friend and brother, without the new birth, we are lost in our sins. Note that the Lord didn't say, Nicodemus, try something different. Nicodemus, change your ways. Or maybe from now on, just try doing good things. And that's our remedy for our own lives when we notice that our things are falling apart, isn't that true? When you're outside of God and things aren't working the way you should, you say, you know what? I need to try something different. Even people will come along that care about you and love you and say, you know what you need to do? You need to change your ways. You know what you need to do? You need to correct some things in your life by from now on, start trying to do good things for other people. And that's the human response to try to fix our own lives. But how many of you know that it doesn't work? You can think happy thoughts all you want, but that won't change your life. You can try to start doing good things starting tomorrow and see how life will go and it won't correct the things inside of you. But when you give your life to Jesus, when you go through the new birth and you're washed with the water and you're filled with the spirit, can I tell you, God not only gives you a new way, but he gives you a new life. The Lord told Nicodemus, uh, just doing something different and changing your ways and trying good things won't happen, won't help you. He says, what you need is a new life. Redemption is not something that comes to you because you simply stop sinning. Well, preacher, I just got to get a hold of this habit. How's that going? I just got to take control of my thoughts. You know, my thoughts are out of control. Once I take control of those things, then everything in my life is going to line up. Let me ask you, how's that going? Because you can't take control of your own thoughts. You can't take control of your own flesh. What are you talking about, preacher? Because we know these things. Many of us in this room have tried all those things, and it didn't work. Let us farther into addiction and deeper into sin. But then one greater than us came into our lives and forgave us and washed us and then filled us with his spirit. And his spirit in us helps renew our minds, helps to put our flesh in check, helps us to control our thoughts. He does it by his spirit in us. Let me just pause and tell you that if you don't have the Holy Ghost inside of you, you are going to struggle with your mind and your flesh. Because baptism deals with the sin condition of your life and the sinful nature. But how do you control your mind and your will and your emotions? It happens by the power of the Holy Ghost inside of you. 
being baptized in Jesus' name is only the first step. You need to be filled with his spirit. And when his spirit lives within you, then you can take control of your thoughts and your flesh through his spirit. Is there anybody here that knows what I'm talking about? So you need the new birth. Redemption is not something that you acquire by being a better person. Salvation comes when a lost sinner comes repentant to the feet of Jesus and surrenders their life in baptism. It's ultimately an encounter with the grace of God and being changed by the redemptive love of the Savior. Can I ask you a question? Have you been redeemed? And so this cult was redeemed and it typifies to us our need to be redeemed. The second thing that we notice in this story about this little cult is number two, it had to be released. Someone said it had to be released. Not only was it redeemed, but number two, it was released. Look at Mark 11 and 2 with me. Jesus sends his disciples and he tells them, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. What does this speak to us? It speaks to us the second thing. We need to be delivered to be used by God. Not only do we need to be saved, go through the redemption, through the new birth, the blood, the water and his spirit, but we also need to be delivered. Amen. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about this cult, he told them that they would find him tied up. They needed to loose him and bring him to Jesus. And that's what they did. That colt, that donkey was tied up, bound, and needed to be set free before the Lord could use him. Can I tell you, my dear brother and friend, when Jesus found us, weren't we just like that cult? Before you and I could be useful to the Lord, the chains of our sins had to be broken and we needed to be set free. I don't know if you realize it or not, but we were born into this world as slaves to sin. According to John chapter 8 and 44, we were of the devil. And his desires is what we wanted to do. And in that condition, we can't even help ourselves. We can't serve him nor live for him. We can't give glory to his name. In that condition, we are bound and unable to do anything from the Lord. We need to be delivered. But today we give God praise because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. He comes to where we are and he sets us free. He delivered us from the bondage of our sins. He gave us a new desire to seek him and serve him. He's made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. He saves us. He redeems us, changes our spiritual state before him. But how many of you know that after you come through the waters, there's still some things that are attached to you in my life. 
There's some old habits that we, got, that we seem to not be able to break. And that is evidence that we need to be delivered. And so Jesus, he delivers us from sin, but he also delivers us from ourselves. And his goal ultimately is to deliver us from Satan. John chapter 8 and verse 36 says this, Therefore, if the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm talking to somebody that maybe you've been exposed to the goodness of God. I'm talking to somebody you have felt God's presence and you have felt God's power. Maybe you've even been raised in the church but I'm here to tell you, you still need to be delivered. There's some things in your life that still have power over you. Can I tell you that same Jesus that set that cult free is the same Jesus that can set you and I free. Jesus told the disciples, loose that coat and bring him. And I love verse number three. The Bible says that in verse number three, and immediately he will send it here. I like the new, the new international version of this verse, the NIV. Look at what Jesus says. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. And watch this. And we'll send it back here shortly. I like that version because Jesus tells the disciples, all right, guys, I need a colt. I can't get through all these people, and I can't get through this city. Just walk in. I need a colt. Bring that colt. And when they ask you, what are you doing, tell them the Lord needs it. And he'll bring it back when he's done. He didn't steal it. He just borrowed it. He said, the Lord needs it, and he'll return it back to you when he's done with him. Jesus told his men, tell the person who owns the coat, I'll return your property as soon as I'm done with it. But can I tell you, when that colt or donkey returned, he was better than when he left. Because your Bible says that when the cult left, he was intact and unproven. But when he returned, he was ready to ride. And that is exactly what the Lord does. He takes what we give to him. And when he gives it back, it's much better than when he first received it. Oh, I dare somebody to give their life to Jesus today. I dare somebody to give your marriage to Jesus today. I dare somebody to give your family to Jesus today. He'll take it and he'll return it to you in better condition than when you gave it to him. I love this because when Jesus took that colt, it was timid. It had never been out. It had never been ridden. It was unproven. Maybe even very afraid because it was a young, young colt. It had been tied all its life. All its life, it, all it knew was bondage. All its life, all it knew was that location and that space. But then Jesus comes and says, loose him. Loose her 
And when they ask you why, you tell them the Lord needs it. Oh, I know somebody in here knows what I'm talking about. All you knew was bondage. All you knew was alcoholism. All you knew was drug addiction. All you knew was what the inside of a prison cell looked like. But then Jesus came and pulled you out. My God in heaven, he turned everything around. And when the cult comes back and all the other cults look at him and look at her and say, what happened to you? Jesus happened to me. You look a little different. You walk different. You talk different. You look more confident. Something's different. What happened? Jesus loosed me. He brought me out. And he did something new. I'm talking to somebody today. Jesus wants to lose you. But all I've ever known is sin, preacher. All I've ever known is a miserable, empty life. Jesus will lose you. He'll do something great in your life and return you back better. And when that cult came back, it had been ridden by the king of glory. It had been ridden by the one who rode the clouds. And so Jesus has a way of taking what we give him and making it better. Give him an Abram, a lost pagan, and he will give you back an Abraham, a courageous man of faith. Give him a Jacob, a schemer, a trickster. And he will give you in Israel a prince of God. Give him a Saul of Tarsus, a cruel and mean man. And he will give you Paul, a powerful apostle of the Lord. Give him a Simon, a weak, hesitant man. And he will give you a rock for Jesus. What am I trying to tell you? Give him your broken life, blemished by sin, and he will give you a fresh start, a new life, and a home in heaven. This is what Jesus does. Preacher, I don't know if I'm ready for this church thing. I'm not talking about a church thing. I'm talking about deliverance. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about you finally being released. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Because that Jesus that delivers is in this building here today. And he can break that thing off of your life once and for all. And so Jesus said, give me the cult. But I'll give it back to you. And I'll give it back to you better. And so Jesus is here today saying, give me your life. But, 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 but I've never done this before, preacher. I don't even know how all this works. He says, G -g just give me your life and I'll return it to you better. Give me that circumstance 
that's been plaguing you. And if you give it to me, I promise I'll bring it back to you and it'll be better. Because I, I, I was reading this story a while back and I'm like, how would somebody just release their property like nothing? You want to know how? They knew who was asking for it. They said, oh, Jesus needs it? Oh, yeah. And, and, and don't worry, he'll give it back to you. Oh, I know he will. I heard that he heals blinded eyes. And he opens the deaf ears. He so I know that when that cult comes back, it's going to be better than I gave it to him. But let me get to the, the third thing. Not only was the cult redeemed, and was the cult released. Number three, it had to be ruled. Someone say ruled. What do you mean, preacher? Go with me to verse number two of Mark 11. Watch what he says. You will find a cult tied. We talked about that already. But watch this. On which no one has sat. Loose it. And bring it. What does this mean to you and I? Not only do we need to be saved and delivered, but number three, we need to be submitted. It's gonna get good. And like one kid told me at camp one time, it's just getting gooder and gooder, Pastor. We like the redeemed stuff. Because the church folks say, talk to the souls, Pastor, talk to them. And we want to be delivered because he has delivering power. We don't like this third one. Because the third one is we got to be submitted. Oh, that's, the pastor said the S word. You see, someone had to take care of that young colt. Verse 2 tells us that it had never been broken in for riding. No one had sat. It was a wild animal. That small wild colt needed a master. It was wild. However, he submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and yielded to his control. He simply surrendered completely to the Lord. A lot of folks want to be saved, and some even want to be delivered, but there's a whole lot of folks that don't want to be submitted. Preacher, I, I do what I want. I'm my own boss. Nobody tells me what to do. You've been saved, maybe even delivered. But that next and final step for us as believers is we need to be submitted, ruled, and governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this just logically with me. The simple fact that this cult had never been broken in and that Jesus rode him through the streets is a miracle in and of itself. Without a doubt, the scriptures are clear that Jesus has dominion over all creation. But this animal surrendered to the sovereignty of the Lord and to his authority. That is exactly what Jesus expects from us. 
He is looking for total submission and a complete surrendering of our lives. When Jesus asks for all, he wants all. I remember one time the bishop was preaching in a service just like this. He was talking about the same thing, dedication and, and submitting our lives to the Lord. He said, you don't have to submit your wallet to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was so powerful, Pastor Rusi, because he's heard, told this testimony, if you heard it, that, they, that a soul came to the Lord that day and, and wanted to give his life. And, and the following Sunday, he got baptized. And when he came out of the water, he was still dripping wet, walking up the steps. And he pulls out his wallet and says, here you go, Pastor C. He said, even my wallet got submerged in the waters. That was a powerful declaration because that new soul, that new convert was saying, I want every part of my life submitted to Jesus. I'm not just talking about giving him a Sunday. I'm not just talking about giving him a Thursday. I'm not talking about giving him something. I'm talking about giving Jesus everything. My mind is yours. My heart is yours. My time is yours. My family is yours. My future is yours. There are people, and I'm finishing, who have so much difficulty with the idea of someone having any authority over them. Now hear me. I understand that there can be some ruthless people that try to dominate others. And maybe because of that, we shy away from any kind of authority. Maybe an authority figure in your life that you put your trust in let you down. And so from that moment on, we skirt away, we shy away, we move away from authority. But the kind of authority and submission that I'm talking about is not a domination. It's a directing. At home, husband, you're not to dominate your wife or children. You're to direct them. First with your life and then with your words. Mom and dad, we don't dominate the lives of our children. As authorities in the home, we direct them, we counsel them, we adv advise them. And when they're still under our roof, we discipline them and correct them when possible. Why? Because it's our job to direct them. Again, not dominate. Well, no one's going to dominate me. I'm not talking about dominate. I'm talking about directing. My job here in this church is not to dominate anybody. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to love you. And I'm here to direct you. I'm sorry if your experience somewhere else was different. That wasn't biblical. That wasn't right. I'm telling you by the word of God, in leadership, in authority, we, we direct people. We don't dominate them. We serve people. We love people. And when necessary, we correct them, but with mercy and grace, knowing that we ourselves also need to be corrected. And so when I submit my life to Jesus, I'm saying, here it is, Lord. He's not going to dominate you. He's going to direct you. He's going to guide you. 
And so today, my dear brother, sister, and friend, if you haven't taken this next step, I encourage you to submit your life to Jesus. I know this idea of submission. If the musicians would come, I'm coming to a close. I know this idea of submission is foreign to some. But can I tell you, it's still in the word of God. And I pray you understand the spirit and attitude I'm trying to communicate to you by the Holy Ghost. If we are truly saved, Jesus possesses us completely. Just like we gave ourselves to the world. You remember that? You gave yourself to that life. And somebody in this room here is still in that place in your life. You're given over to those things. And so now it's time to allow Jesus to deliver you. So that you can now give yourself over for kingdom purposes. For the will of almighty God. He possesses us completely. You see, when you live that way, it's a lot easier to serve Jesus. But when there are parts of your life that still aren't submitted, it's difficult. If you're a believer and you hear a message like this and there's an area of your life that's not submitted, you don't like this kind of preaching. Well, what got into the pastor today? <laughs> Using such strong language. Doesn't he know that we're in 2023? Only unsubmitted people don't like this kind of message. Oh, they're like, oh. Nobody tells me what to do. I had a man come and try and I kicked him to the curb. And I had this woman try to control me and I, I let her go. And so we can't be submitted to anything and anybody. And that's why our lives are out of control. But you submit your life to Jesus for safekeeping. And he keeps you. He protects you. And like I said before, whatever you give him, he gives it back to you better than when you handed it to him. And so you're able to submit to your boss at work. No matter how unruly and how weird they are. Because let me give you a little quick Bible study on authority. God's not asking you to submit to the person or personality. He's asking you to submit to what they represent. There's some people that their kids are out of control. Can I give you a pastoral observation? It's because they struggle being submitted to somebody else. Because submission flows from the top down. If I'm submitted as a husband, as a father, guess what's going to happen? Anybody in my life that connected to me is also going to be submitted. But if I am unruly and no one tells me nothing, that's why you have those kids over there not listening to anything you say. Because they don't see submission in our life. As a pastor of this church, I'm submitted to authority. I have authorities that I have to submit to. I don't get to go in here and do whatever I want and say whatever I want. I have authorities over me that I've got to submit to. And I learned a long time ago that if I submit to God's divine authority over my life, I'll be blessed. 
and everybody under me, wherever that is, work, home, or church, will also be blessed because the leader, because the authority figure is submitted to God's divine authority. I'm talking to somebody that's saying, I get it now. Now I see it, Pastor, why I've been struggling so much. Now I understand why things have been so unruly. I've got to get submitted to God. I've got to get submitted to his authority. One of the most amazing declarations in the Bible is found here in verse 3. And it has to do with this small animal. It says, the Lord has need of it. When has God ever needed anything? And this is what God had to say about his own personal needs. Look at Psalm 50 and 12. This is the Lord saying, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine. And all its fullness. But the paradox of the earthly life of our Lord Jesus was that he was rich and he became poor. He was the owner of everything, but yet he possessed nothing. He created the stars and the sky, but had nowhere to lay his head. He formed everything that is seen from nothing. However, he had to borrow a boat from which he preached his gospel. He created every drop of water that exists in the world. However, when he was on the cross, he cried, I thirst. He created every tree, but he died on a borrowed cross. He created every stone and every rock, but he had to borrow a tomb in which to be buried. He used the clouds as a chariot, according to Psalm 104, but he needed to borrow a colt to ride on. And that is the paradox of his life. He was rich but became poor so that those who believed in him would enjoy of his riches. When he became, when we become like this cult, we become redeemed, we become released, and we become ruled, then he can use our lives. Being like this cult is not that bad when Jesus is your master. Look at what this small animal accomplished. He brought the king of glory. Jerusalem. Would you stand with me today? The Lord used this cult as his vehicle to bring glory to his name. And that's what the Lord wants to do with you and me. And so my encouragement to you and to me today is let's surrender our lives to him and allow him to rule and govern our lives as he will. I need to be saved. I need to be delivered. But I also need his government. I need his lordship and rulership over my life. And the Lord tells his disciples, you tell them when they ask you, what are you doing? You tell them, the Lord has need of it. And I've come to tell somebody here today, the Lord needs you. How is your family going to be saved? By him saving you and then saving them. The Lord needs you. How are we going to reach the city of Phoenix with all these lost people around us? He's going to save some, fill them with his spirit. The Lord needs us. 
anybody in this room has to willingly say, Lord, here's my life. Here's who I am and everything I am. I lay it at your feet. Could you lift up your hands to heaven right now all over this sanctuary? I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Spirit of the Lord. If the Word of God has touched your life, would you close your eyes? Would you lift up your hands? So, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of doing whatever it is that I want to do and it not working. I need to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want Him to take my life and make it better. I want Him to deliver me from some things that have held me back and held me hostage. Preacher, I need to be saved. I'm not saved. I'm not redeemed. Jesus, here's my life. If you're in this room here today and you fall under any one of those categories and you're ready to surrender to Jesus and give him your life, whether it's for the first time or maybe because you need to again, why don't you come down and stand at this altar and say, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my family. I'm giving you my future. I'm giving you my decisions. Why don't you come down and stand at this altar and say, if God can take that wild animal and make something out of him, maybe he can do something similar in my life. I'm a witness of it. He can. I'm a witness of it. He will. There are many in this room that have turned their lives over to Jesus, and Jesus has made them better. Come down to this altar here and say, Lord, I'm surrendering to you.